Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. In lieu of Pastor Eric not being here, I thought I would start it off with a terrible joke, and let's see how it goes. Being from Louisiana, our most famous of jokes is Boudreaux and Thibodeau. And if you haven't heard about these two amazing characters, um, they're not the brightest. They don't represent all of Louisiana, um, but unfortunately, a lot of people from Louisiana are like this. So Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they haven't been able to find work. They finally found this ad in the paper to work at the sawmill. They decide to apply, and they get hired, and they go to this. So they start their first day, and Boudreaux's, they get two different jobs, and Boudreaux's on one side of the sawmill, and Thibodeau's on the other side. And Boudreaux's over there working, picking up wood chips and and doing what he can. And he hears this man screaming in agony. He he hears it and he says, well, that's weird. You know, it's the first day and that can't be good. He starts hearing and he goes, oh, I think that's my friend Thibodeau. I got to go see what's going on. So he takes off running. And he gets to the other side of the sawmill and there's his friend pouring blood out of his hand. And he said, Thibodeau, what happened? He goes, Boudreaux, I cut my finger off. He goes, well, how'd you do that? And he goes, well, I touched this sharp pointy thing, and oh, there goes another one. (laughs) Have you ever heard about something? Thank you, thank you. Here all night. Have you ever grown up with something in your life and you've heard the phrase or, or you've seen something before, but you don't know how it works. Obviously, we, we know what a saw is. And Thibodeau, poor Thibodeau, he's seen a saw. He's seen a saw. He's heard about a saw. He's probably seen him on TV. But when it comes to operating with a saw, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, unfortunately. You get it? It's a saw. It's two jokes. Same is true in my life. I, my dad is a mechanic and can work on anything. I would go out there and hold the flashlight. And now that I'm grown and I have my own cars to work on, I wish that I would have paid attention a little bit more. So I, I know what a car looks like. I know what a car's supposed to do. But when I open the hood, I don't really know how it's supposed to operate. I know the word starter. And I might be able to point it out. I might be able to say, is that it? Give me three tries and I guarantee you I will point that starter out. Maybe. But I don't know how it operates. I don't know how it works. I don't know the mechanics of it. I've seen my mom and my grandmother sew before on a sewing machine, and I've seen a sewing machine. But if you told me to sit down and sew a shirt or sew anything, I would probably slice my finger off with it. I I just don't know how to operate it. Same is true when it comes to this scripture and what I want to share with you tonight. When you've grown up in church or you've been a part of a church for a while, you have heard these three words over and over and over and over and over again. Faith, hope, and love. It's, it's the staple of Christianity. Faith, hope, and love. You got to have faith. You got to have hope and you got to have love. But sometimes you got to stop and scratch your head and think, do I know how to operate? in faith, in hope, in love. If I'm talking to somebody about it, can I explain what faith, hope, and love is? Can I explain to someone how I'm operating in faith, hope, 
and love. And so coming from this perspective, I thought, well, let me dive into it and let's see if I can explain to y'all tonight, one, what faith, hope, and love is, and two, how you can operate in it in a practical sense when you walk out the door. And whatever situations are happening in your life, you can say, today is the day that I'm going to start operating and using faith, start using hope, and start using love to help me in whatever situations that you have from this point on. So we start with the scripture, and now. Now the word now in the Greek means right now at this moment, at this moment, right now, at this moment. So it doesn't matter what you walked in with, whatever struggles, whatever burdens, whatever issues, whatever questions or confusions, because right now is the time that you can flip a switch in your mind and say, I'm going to operate in faith, hope, and love. I might not know what that is. I might not know how to do that, but hopefully that guy with the mic is going to tell me so I can start operating in it. And you might say, you know, I walked into this situation with, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, or I, I don't know how I'm going to recover from this illness. I don't know how I'm going to recover in this marriage or in this relationship with my children. But it says right now, in this moment, you can say, okay, I, I haven't been operating in faith in this situation, but right now I'm going to start operating in it. Right now, I'm going to make the decision that I'm going to operate in these three things in my life and see my life go forward in a positive situation. So I want you in your mind right now to start thinking, and now, in this moment, right now, I'm going to make changes in these situations, and I'm going to apply these to my life, so that way, it doesn't matter how negative the situation was when I walked in, it's going to be a positive whenever I walk out. So we're going to start with faith, and now, faith. And the word faith in Greek is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis, and it's the conviction of the truth of anything, of anything. There's no limit to what you can believe for. There's no limit on how much faith, how much faith you can use, how, what you can use faith on. There's, there's not a rule book of, of what you can use faith. You can't use it with fear, because the opposite of faith is fear, so you can't use it in a fearful manner, but you use it for anything. One thing about faith, and one thing that I love about the Bible, is that the Bible gives you definitions of words and of phrases and of things in there. The Bible interprets itself. So the first question that we have to ask is, what is faith? I mean, if, if we're going to talk about faith and we want to learn how to operate in it, then we have to define it. And God, being so awesome in the book that he wrote, he, uh, he defines it in Hebrews. Hebrews 11.1, 1, we have the definition. And faith is the substance. Now, do we see the word, the very first word? It's the same word we just talked about, now. Right now, in this moment, right, right now, faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So even in this definition, we see that the next word, faith, hope, and love, is in this definition. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and I don't want to give away what hope means, so we'll hold that for a little bit, the evidence of things not seen. Now in the Greek, the definition of seen is seeing with the physical eyes. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is something that you can't see. Faith is something out there that you can't grasp. Faith is something out there that you can't do on your own, that, that God has to show up. Substance is the foundation, the substance. 
It's the molecules, it's the atoms, it's the very existence, it's, it's the foundation of everything. It can be anything, building up from the ground up, but it's also the foundation of Christianity, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So now that we have a definition of what faith is, what do we use faith for? The very first thing that we have to use faith for in Christianity would be our salvation to enter in to God's promise and God's covenant with him. And so we see in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourself, it is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So the very, to get into the door of Christianity, we have to operate in faith. But people have this weird understanding that once you get in the door, well, faith goes out the window, you know, we'll figure it out the rest of the way. Let's talk about how we have to believe to be saved. So we know that to be saved, we have to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So if we're confessing that, we're believing that, by faith, then we are a part of God's kingdom. But then we have to go and believe crazier stuff to maintain this Christian walk. So we have to believe that God himself sent his only son to be birthed by a virgin that never had relations with another man and that somehow the Holy Spirit just gave her a baby. That takes some faith. I don't know about you, but that takes some faith for me to believe. We have to believe that there was a man in the Old Testament that lifted a cane up and split a sea and one, two million people walked through on dry ground. That Moses led the Israelites through that. And then as soon as they got done, he snapped his fingers and then the water crashed and killed an entire Egyptian army. That, that takes some faith to believe. It takes faith to believe that there was a man on a ship and the storms were going crazy and he said, oh, hey, guys, it's my fault that this hurricane just showed up. It's my fault. My name's Jonah and I just made a mistake. I ticked God off, didn't listen to him. Just throw me overboard and everything will be all right. And then a fish ate him. And didn't just chew him up and go on to the next meal. He kept him in his belly for three days, then got tired of him and threw him up. Not just didn't throw him up anywhere, just so happened to throw him up on the shore right in front of the place that God wanted him to go. There was a group of 12 men in a boat rowing on a storm, and they see a white figure out the corner of their eye. They start screaming. They're getting terrified, and it's Jesus himself. He said, oh, hey, guys, I told you all to go to the other side. What are you all doing halfway here? You're missing the point. Peter, being so full of faith at that moment, said, if it's you, then bid me to come. He said, come on, you know, water's fine. Peter jumps out there, and he starts walking on the water. And then he sees the sea, starts drowning but God saves him. 
Then we believe that this man died on a cross and died, was buried, rose again and ascended on high and is sitting at the right hand of the Father and is coming back again to restore his church. Yes. Amen. That takes faith, people, yes. to believe that. But somehow we have an issue with believing that God wants to heal us. Somehow we have an issue with believing that God wants to supply yes. all of our needs and meet us where we're at. Yes. Amen. Takes faith to get in the door. Takes faith to maintain the walk. Yes. So what else can we use faith for? Anything. <coughs> I go out on a limb and say anything. You see, it says in... John 14, 13 and 14, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, then I'll do it. Have you pushed that to the limit yet? Is there a boundary that God has stopped? Did Jesus say, well, whoa, whoa, you can't ask for that. Whoa, God, we messed up. We should have included that in the, in the scripture. You can ask for anything, but definitely don't ask for a house. Don't ask for your loved ones to get saved. Don't ask for healing, restoration. Don't, don't you do that. No, he comes out and he says, you ask for anything. If it's in my name, it's by faith, I'll do it for you. Oh. Well, then the limits are wide open. You are in a realm where the possibilities are endless for you. Now it makes me think, well, what can I ask God for? What, what, what can I ask him for to see his mighty hand show up in my life? So we know the definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know what we can operate faith in, salvation to get in the door. And then once you're in the door, it's wide open. Go have fun. Enjoy your relationship with God. Talk with him, ask him for stuff. See what happens. So now how do we operate in it? How do we, how do we work it in our life right now? How can I walk out this door and apply faith in my life? Once again, Bible, interprets Bible. We have an answer. And it's Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And I, I love Jesus in the Gospels. He says in Mark eleven twenty two. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. That's, that's what Jesus said. Hey, how do we have faith? Well, have faith in God. Wait, I need a little more clarity, Jesus. Excuse me. Um, I understand have faith in God. Like that's, that's an awesome church phrase. How you doing, brother? Have faith in God. Appreciate it. I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't know how to do this. Somebody help me. Um, I'm just trying to walk this out. Yeah, just have faith in God. Just, just go out there and have faith. Thanks, Jesus. The Apostle Paul brings some clarity to that. And he says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing, the word hearing in Greek means the physical sense of hearing. You have five senses, the physical, physical sense of hearing in your ear. So faith comes how do, I, how do I get faith happening in my life? How do I grow faith in my life? Faith comes by hearing. So then it makes me question, what are you hearing right now? What is your spouse saying to you? 
What is the news saying to you? What is the radio saying to you? What is your job saying to you? What are you saying to yourself? What is coming in your ear that you are hearing? Because it says faith comes by hearing. So if you're hearing the wrong things, then your faith is probably not going the right way. It's probably more so fear that you're operating in and not faith. So God, I have to know what do I need to hear then? If you're saying that faith comes by hearing through my ears, then you have to let me know what it is. Thank you, God, for answering that right after that. And hearing by the word of God. Oh, that's simple. So what I should be hearing is the word of God over and over and over again. Because it says, out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth is going to speak. So there's this cycle that happens. So what's in your heart is what's coming out your mouth. And what's coming out your mouth is what's going in your ears, which is building or lowering your faith. So start listening to what you're saying, because what you're saying is driving your faith on what you're believing, which is driving your future or declining your future. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of God. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. So what are you speaking, which means what are you hearing, and what are you hearing is what's bringing you to the place that you want to be. So what is the word of God? Obviously, we have the Bible of us hearing and reading the scripture. That's why Pastor Eric always strongly encourages you to read the Bible out loud so you can hear that word coming in to your ears. We have the Holy Spirit who is speaking to us on a daily basis. That's another way. And the best way is for you just to talk about it to let yourself hear the word of God, to let yourself hear, because the more you speak and the more of God's word you get out your mouth, the more your faith will increase. And now abides faith, hope, and love. The next word we have is hope. Hope. The word in the Greek hope is elpis. There's two definitions. One is the expectation of evil or fear. Amen. Thank you, God, for that word. Now abides faith, the expectation of fear and failure and love. I don't think he meant that definition. The second definition of hope is the expectation of good, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Now, in the Strong's Concordance, when it talks about this Greek word, it has this note. In the Bible, it's rarely used in a bad sense much more frequently in a good sense, and always in the New Testament. Every time you see the word hope in the New Testament that is the word elpis, it is always used for good in the New Testament. It's the expectation of something good happening. So you're always more than likely hoping for something in your future. Which way is it going again? Is it fear or is it faith? Is it good or is it evil? Is it bad or is it good? It says in Ecclesiastes 9.4, For him that is joined to the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For those who are joined to the living, there is hope. It's better to be a living dog than a, die, a dead lion. Amen. That simple phrase right there, there is hope, has kept me going in so many different situations in my life that I can wake up and take another step because as long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm living, there is hope. There is hope 
and I'm expecting it to be good. I'm not expecting it to be fear. I'm not expecting it to be failure. I'm expecting it to be hopeful. It says in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the hope that we hang on to. As long as he's alive, as long as he's on the throne, as long as he's the one that raised from the dead and said, it is finished, then there is hope in my life and in your life. He is the hope of glory. During World War II, there was a man by the name of Philip Mueller that got arrested by the Germans, and he got brought to a concentration camp, which wasn't well known back then, but is very well known today, as he walked through the gates, and it said, welcome to Auschwitz on it. And he walks in there at its very infant stage of it being built and starting in its first year. Him and a friend find out that they're not really feeding them as much as they should, and they see a big cauldron of soup, and no one's at it. So they take off running, and they dive into this hot cauldron of soup, and they just start drinking it and gulping up as much as they could. And while he's drinking, all of a sudden, he feels himself being pushed further into this cauldron, and he's choking on the soup at this point. And before he dies, he's pulled out by a German soldier. He's been caught. He's been captured trying to steal food. He knows that people have died for less. The German soldiers decide that they're going to teach this man a lesson, and they're not going to kill him, but they're going to bring him as close to death as they can. And they make him, for the next three, two to three years, work in the death camp, work where they gas hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, work in the crematorium where he has to literally see death happen and then burn them. And he does this for two, three years. Every day, he wakes up. He's still alive. Somehow he manages food, and he walks to his job, and they bring another train in. They put him in the gas chambers. They take all their valuables. They kill them. They take their bodies, and they burn them. And he does this every day. And finally, one day, he's done with it. And they bring in a group and they put them in the gas chambers. They think they're taking a bath. And he just walks in there. And he's standing in the back corner and he says, I'm done. I'm never going to do this again. I'm tired of living this life. I can't go on. And he just stands there. Now everyone else in the gas chamber has been stripped down. And he's still in his clothes because he's a worker. And there's these two girls that see him in the corner and they walk up to him. And they, say, what are you? And they ask him, what are you doing? And he says, I'm done. I, I can't deal with this anymore. It's been too long. I fought as much as I could, but I can't do it anymore. And these two girls looked at him, and they said, you still have a chance. We know what our fate is, and we know that we're dying right now. But you can walk out of this gas chamber. They said, please leave and tell our story to the world. We can't tell our story anymore, but you can there's still an opportunity. Please don't die. At that moment, he decided, all right, I'll survive one more day. And he kept putting his foot in front of him, and he survived 
Auschwitz. He walks out of there a free man. He writes a book, and he is able to share his story and everyone else's story that he comes in. If you're among the living, there is hope. I would rather be a living dog than a dead lion. It doesn't matter what the situation is. If you're breathing, there is hope that God is good and he will show up in your life. He will show up at that moment. He will show up at the exact miracle moment that you need to survive, to make you breathe, to help you keep going. He'll heal you. He'll restore you. There is hope. And as you walk out today, it's realizing I'm still breathing, so that still gives God an opportunity to show up in this situation today. It says in Romans 4.18, who against hope believed in hope, talking about Abraham, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Who against hope still believed in hope. Who against all of the negative fear, failure that was pressed in front of him, of his wife, he's guaranteed to have a brand new generation, as much as the stars are in the sky and the sand is in the seashore, that's a whole bunch of S's, as much as that's happening, he's going to have it. And his wife is barren and can't have children. And against hope, he still believed, God said it, then it's going to change. Something's going to happen. So I want you to walk out today operating in hope that you're going to expect something good to happen. Monday or Tuesday when that bad storm came through and they were talking about hail hitting and, you know, golf ball size hail all over the place. As I was driving home, I live on 380 and uh, Pearl Van Wye, who is our, our church weather girl who knows everything about weather, I text her and I say, hey, how bad is it? I hear it's coming right down 380. What are we looking at? And she said, it's, it's, it's not looking good. Denton just got hit really hard. Big, big hail. I said, Okay. And so we live in an apartment, and we don't have covered parking. Um, and I said, well, God, you know, if it hails, it hails, but not on my vehicles. Just keep my vehicle safe. Move it away from the apartment. Move, I mean, hit the other apartment. I mean, I, just don't hit my two cars. <laughs> it's a better miracle if you hit the whole apartment, and my car's still fine. So I pulled into the apartment, and... And I kind of parked by one of the apartment complexes where the wind was blowing to try and block it. And I said, God, you know where we're at. You know what's going on. I expect this to move out the way, and it's not going to affect our cars. Whether you believe that God works miracles or not, we had barely pea-sized hail that did for like 30 seconds, and the storm just blew right past us and destroyed a lot of other people's stuff. But I was hoping in that moment, expecting something good. I said, God, you're in control. We have the favor of God on our lives. These are my cars. I don't expect them to get destroyed. So protect us. You said you would, so do it. And our cars are fine. Because I was expecting good things to happen. So in now abides faith, hope, and love. And I'm finishing up right now because I'm getting hungry too. The word love right there is agape, a purely biblical word, affectionate, goodwill, love, benevolence, and I love this definition, a love feast, a love feast, and now abides faith, hope, and a love feast. We know what love is. 
We hear about it all over the place. It's something that everybody wants to obtain and experience. And we have people here right now that have children, that have wives, that have moms, that have dads, and we know what love is. But God is love. There's a different type of Christianity. There's a different type of love when God's involved. So there's only two ways that we can operate in love. We can receive it, and we can give it. And now abides faith, hope, and love. Now we can receive it from people. We can receive it from God, and we can give it. It says in 1 John 4, 7 through 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, and that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us first, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing that at that moment when Adam and Eve sinned, God shows up and he doesn't cuss them out. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't kill them immediately and say, well, Jesus, let's start over. We really messed this one up. He doesn't do any of that. Now, there are consequences to the actions, but in the curse that he's pronouncing, he does this little side trick by telling Satan, oh, hey, by the way, her seed, you know, you're going to bite his heel, but he's going to stomp your head. And in that moment, before he sends them out the garden, it says that he kills an animal and he covers them. God could have done so many things at that moment. He could have said, well, let's just destroy it and start it over. We've only been doing it for a couple minutes and they already, they already messed it up. So let's just start over again. But he already had a plan. Before the foundation of the world, the lamb was already slain. He said, hey, if they mess it up, we got a plan. We're going to save humanity. And this is love. That when you were at the worst of your worst, when you doubted him, when you thought that you failed him, when you might bald your fist up and said that you hated him, that's when he loved you the most. Yeah, amen. And when you receive that love, it puts a whole lot of things in perspective. It makes a lot of issues really small. It brings some clarity to the situation. I don't know how you're going to do this, but you've, you've shown up before, so you'll do it again. Yeah. And then it's giving yeah. that love. In verse 11, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Something so simple, such an easy verse, but something so hard to do sometimes. That in the moment of our frustration, our failures, in the moments that it's all about me, I'm having my pity party and I need, I need somebody to love me is the moment that we need to go out there and stretch our hands out to help others. Yeah. It says in Psalms 147.11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope, oh, what are the odds? In his unfailing love. King James Version says unfailing love. It says mercy, same thing. 
and those who hope in his unfailing love. And it says, and now abides faith, hope, and love. So now we know about faith that by speaking it, it goes into our ear, which goes into our heart, which then out of our heart comes what we believe. So we need to know what we're putting in our ears, and we need to listen to what we're saying to help build our faith in our situation. It says, in faith, hope, and now abides faith and hope. Hope is expecting something good. It means you can expect something bad to happen, but I encourage you not to, because in the Bible, it never talks about expecting something bad to happen. So why are you expecting it to happen? It's expecting something good to happen at every moment. At every opportunity, you have that junction to say, well, it might go this way, or say, no, what does the Bible say? And then love, a love feast. But it says, and the greatest of these is love. Why does it say the greatest of these is love? Because love is something that's going to transcend time, that's going to happen for eternity. Because faith and hope are going to go away. When you're standing before Jesus at the end of time, I don't need faith to believe for Jesus. There he is right there. I don't need faith to believe for healing because I'm in heaven and I'm completely healed. I'm in heaven, so why am I going to hope for anything better? I mean, if God's got something better, then hey, I mean, we'll go there. But I'm already there. I'm I'm in the place. I'm there. I made it. And I'm not going to hope for something bad. Oh, well, I'm up here. I hope I don't go to hell now. Once you're here, you're here, right, God? You can't, can't fall down somewhere and end up in hell, right? But love is something that will transcend forever because God is love. There's three things that I, I say a lot. And if I've ever talked with you about anything or if you've been in the young adults group, you've heard me say these three phrases And it's something that I believe in my heart of hearts, and I hope you believe it as well. Number one, God is good. It's my faith statement. God is good. I believe that God is good. He's not going to send a storm to teach me a lesson. He's not going to give me cancer to tell me that I should have loved my wife more. He's not going to inflict harm on me. All he cares about is loving me, and if love is love, then love is good, so God must be good. So I always have that in front of me, that God is good. That's my faith statement. My hope statement is God did, is doing, and will always do good things. I'm expecting something good in every situation, every moment, that God will always do good things. Always. I'm always expecting in whatever situation, God's going to do something good. And then my love statement is God wants to do good things to me. I make it personal. I remind myself that there's seven billion people out in the world, but there's one Jeremiah Paul land that God died for and sent his son for and paid a high price for and gave me the opportunity to encounter so many blessings and a relationship with him and love with him. And he wants to do that for me. And he wants to do that for you. And if every day you say those three things, your attitude starts changing. Your perspective starts changing. doesn't matter what the situation looks like, God is good. doesn't matter what the situation looks like, God is doing good things. 
right now. He's done it. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. If he healed somebody in the past, and I've heard stories of him healing people, and he wants to heal me right now, and he'll heal me in the future. God's doing good things. And then you make it personal. God wants to do good things to me. God wants to do good things to my family. God wants to do good things in my job. God wants to do good things right now to me. Faith, hope, and love. And I'll finish with this because it was such a success at the beginning. Boudreaux is walking in the town square with his wife. And they pass by the well-known wishing well. And they both have a penny. So he decides he's going to throw a penny in the wishing well and make a wish. So by faith, he's heard that this wishing well grants wishes. So he throws that penny in there. He makes a wish. So he steps out in hope. By faith, he knows that wishing well is going to come true, and he starts hoping. Oh, something's good going to happen. Here's my wish. Something's good going to happen. And his wife goes, okay, it's my turn. She goes to throw the penny in. She falls into the well. And Boudreaux goes, wow, it worked. (laughs) And we see Boudreaux experiencing love. God is good. He does good things, and he wants to do good things to me. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.